For those of you that don't know me, my name is Justin Smith, and uh, I've recently been named the, the director, the ministry director of the youth ministries for ages, uh, or students in grades 6 through 12. Before that, I've been helping out in an interim type role with the youth group. I know some of you may be thinking, this is when I was supposed to take my vacation, when the youth guy gets up to preach. And I'm sorry if you missed that memo. Um, you know, Pastor Mark tried. Pastor Brady's out of town who would normally fill in for him. You know, Pastor Brandon obviously is doing music. And so Pastor Mark you know, asked around as many people as he possibly could, is there anyone that can take this pulpit and do a decent job? And, and when the answer was finally no, he said, fine, we'll ask Justin. Um, so you're stuck with me this morning. I heard an amen. That's not right. Um, but uh, you know, that's okay. You're stuck with me this morning. I'm happy to be here. Um, it's an honor and a privilege to be able to come and bring God's word um, and to share that with you this morning. Um, the last time I preached in front of a, a congregation of a local church was either the end of 2020 or beginning of 2021 when we were in Columbus, Mississippi. Um, and I had preached at that particular church that we were a member of a, a few times. And over the course of doing so, there was one um, older gentleman who would come up to me. My wife and I are from Arkansas, and he would come up to me and he'd say, Brother, you have the fastest mouth from Arkansas I've ever heard. Because when I get excited, I tend to go faster and faster and faster. So what I'll try to do this morning is work on slowing down if you will work on speeding your ears up. And we'll meet somewhere in the middle, and I think, uh, I think it'll be a good time. Uh, so like you've seen in the bulletin, like uh, Joshua told you, we're going to be in James chapter 5 today, uh, looking at, in particular, verse 16, but in the larger context of that passage, verses 13 through 18, we'll be looking at the consequence of confession. Uh, so if we were to focus in just on verse 16, we see where it says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you might be healed. You may be healed. Um, and when you, you think about that idea to confess, uh, maybe some different pictures pop up in your mind, some different images. Um, if you're really into detective shows and cop shows, you might think of that tense moment in every episode where the, the bad guy gets sat down and they're just drilling him, good cop, bad cop, bringing up all kinds of things until he finally breaks and confesses to the crime that he's committed. For me, as I was thinking through this idea of confession, I, it went a different way. The, the image that immediately popped into my mind was the idea of deathbed confessions, where people, as they reach the end of their life, either because they've lived a long life and they're now in old age, maybe they've received some sort of terminal diagnosis or some awful thing has happened to them, and they realize that they are at the end of their life. Apparently, it is very common for people when they get to that point on their deathbed to confess to things that they've done throughout their life. And some of them are very serious, very traumatic, very worthwhile instances. Um, there was one particular deathbed confession that I was reading about where someone admitted to stealing some princess's watch from another country um, many years earlier. Obviously, many other more heinous crimes were, uh, were confessed to on their deathbed that were later corroborated. Uh, one in particular stood out to me was about the Loch Ness Monster. You might think, well, what in the world? It was the Loch Ness Monster. He was confessing on his deathbed. Um, it, it wasn't him, but obviously. But there was this guy named Christian Sperling who in 1934, at that particular time, no one knew who took the picture. But in 1934, Christian Sperling and some of his, his friends or peers actually took a picture of what they claimed was the Loch Ness Monster. And you've probably seen this picture. If you're not familiar with this, there's this Scottish 
folklore tale that there's this big lake called Loch Ness. Loch is the, idea, the terminology they would use for this lake in Scotland, where there's this giant sea monster with a long neck type thing that lives there. And so in 1934, they take this picture. It's very grainy. If you were to look at it, it might look like someone's arm or an elephant's trunk just sticking out of the water. You really can't tell what's happening. But for tens of years, for decades, people took this as part of a growing evidence base of proof that there really was such a thing as the Loch Ness Monster. Uh, Well, in 1994, when Christian Sperling was 93 years old, on his deathbed, he finally confessed, hey, we made the whole thing up. Our friend, he was mad because he had been fired by this newspaper. So to get back at them, they built, this is a diabolical plan, they built a submarine and attached this hose, neck, head sort of thing on the top and had it cruise across the lake, took a picture, submitted it to the paper, and that was their mighty revenge. And so many years later, when he was 93, nearing the end of his life, he had confessed to this. Um, And in the same way, sometimes we might think of that idea of uh, we have to get something off of our chest. We have to tell people before it finally goes to the grave with us or drives us crazy. There are many instances where we see this idea uh, of confession. So we're going to talk about confession in a more Christian sense today, um, how we are commanded to confess and how um, confession really builds community within the church, consensus within the church, and helps to really restore and bring unity amongst God's people. Um, We see here verse 16 is really situated amongst a larger passage where James is encouraging the church to pray. He's writing to these Jewish Christians that have been dispersed through persecution, through hate, through violence all over um, Asia and Europe and in the Middle Eastern areas. And to anyone who is receiving this letter, he begins really the beginning of James by saying, hey, Take joy in your affliction. Count it all joy when you face these circumstances. And if you need wisdom, ask God. So he begins this idea with prayer, this letter with prayer, and he's going to end with prayer as well. And so in the middle here, we see this general imperative, the confession of and prayer for sin. So let's start with our first point and the fact that confession is commanded. Uh, When we go to James 5, really that entire passage, 13 through 18, we see a lot of commands that are given. Now, they may not seem like commands uh, when we read them in our our English Bible. Maybe they seem more like suggestions. Uh, But James is really commanding certain responses in certain situations. In verse 13, if anyone among you is suffering, let him pray. That's a command to pray. Not, hey, maybe you should try this, but you're being commanded to pray. If anyone is cheerful, you're being commanded to sing praise. If anyone is sick and unable to go and be prayed over another way, it says to let him call the elders. That's a command. And the elders were supposed to pray over them, anointing them with oil. So we have all of these commands for prayer in different circumstances of life, for those that are sick, for those that are in sin. Well, here we see in verse 16, to confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Those are both commands, the command to confess your sin to one another and the command to uh, pray for one another. Uh, Now, certainly, though, James does not flat out say it explicitly here. Uh, This is something, this is a secondary confession. We know ultimately as Christians, the main confession where we should be confessing first and foremost is our sin to God. And that is both understood here and we need to understand that is the most important confession that we can make. Uh, Certainly confessing our sin to God is a, a very common theme throughout Scripture. We think of the Apostle John in 1 John 1 verse 9. He said, if anyone you know, should confess his sin, then we have a Savior who is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. 
Uh, in Proverbs 28.13, it says, Whoever conceals his confessions, whoever conceals his transgressions, excuse me, will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes will obtain mercy. And so we see this idea, whether it be the Old Testament, the New Testament, Jewish believers, up to those who are now following Christ uh, in the New Testament, that we were commanded to, and we were supposed to make a regular part of our life, confession to God. Certainly we can see that that's the case because in Psalm 51, David says, against you, you only have I sinned. Ultimately, all of our sin is, is a transgression against God. It is rebelling against God. But James is pointing us to something different with this particular command. He's not pointing us to the command to confess to God. It's, it's almost implied you should already be doing this as part of your regular faith uh, life, your regular Christian actions. In addition to this, he's commanding uh, to confess this particular sin to one another. This is one of over 50 commands that James gives in, in just 108 verses. It's the most command-heavy um, book in the New Testament. Really, you could average that out and say one for every two verses, uh, there's another command that's given. And it makes sense if we think back to what Jesus said in the gospel that he said that if you love me in John 14, you will keep my commands. And so we see these particular ways that we should be living and are commanded to be living. And this is a, a one that sometimes gets overlooked. Confession gets overlooked for many reasons, one being that we sometimes think confessing our sins to one another is a, a, a thing that only the Catholic Church would do. That while I think of confession as maybe going in this booth, and there's someone I can't see on the other side, and I slay out all the bad things I've done, and once I feel better about that, or I'm told what exactly I'm supposed to do, I go about my way. But that's not the type of confession that James is talking about here. He's talking about a confession that, number one, ha is reciprocated amongst the body, right? That's confessing your sins to one another. Um, but sometimes when we see a particular group that we don't agree with, a particular teaching that gets distorted, we want to run the exact opposite direction, right? This is one of those commands that I would say, by and large, in the Baptist church, maybe even so at Broadway, that falls under the rug. We don't necessarily like it. It's uncomfortable, right? Confessing our sins to one another seems awkward, right? How does that come up in conversation? You're at Kroger, and you're checking out, and they ask you how you're doing. Are you supposed to confess your sins then? You know, when, over a cup of coffee when you're having breakfast? When, when is the right time to confess your sins to one another? Um, sometimes it can seem scary. What is the reaction that I'm going to receive? If I confess my shortcomings and I confess my errors, I, I confess my, my sins to someone, are they going to respond with a look of disgust? Like, oh, you're an awful human being. And, and we're scared of that response and we don't do it. Um, sometimes confession can have consequences. When we confess to our sin, when we own up to it, sometimes that can um, even though eventually it will heal relationships, maybe it breaks them, maybe it breaks people, maybe it breaks us being able to admit uh, the things that we're a part of. But we have to understand in all of those situations that confession is commanded. And so we know confession is commanded. Let's explore a little bit of the why oh, of, of why it's commanded. Moving to our second point, confession is community building. So not only is confession commanded, but it's commanded because confession builds community. We see there, again, in verse 16, uh, not to just confess our sins to a brick wall. We're not to confess our sins without that being reciprocated, but we are to confess our sins to one another. 
This is one of approximately 100 times in the New Testament that that idea of doing something to or for one another is said, whether that's to love one another, to bear one another's burdens. But here we're looking at the idea of confessing to one another. In some sense, we might even think of this as as kind of the flip side of church discipline. We spend some time in, in Matthew 18 looking at this idea of if you know someone is in sin, you know, going to them personally, going to them as, as a group of two or three, bringing them before the church if necessary. But there might be times that you don't have to wait for someone to confront you in that sin. There might be times that you don't have to wait for someone to bring it to your doorstep and you realize that, that you have wronged another person. Right? Jesus talks about that as well in Matthew chapter 5. Right? He tells during the Sermon on the Mount his disciples that if you realize that there is animosity between you and a brother, if you realize that something is wrong, maybe if you realize that you're in sin, you're not even supposed to finish giving your gift at the altar, but to leave it there and go make things right and to go reconcile those things. So confession builds community. It repairs relationships. It builds unity. Um, Now, one thing confession is not in community building, it's not codependence. Sometimes we might find someone that we are comfortable confessing our sins to, We might find someone that we can confess our sins to without that fear of disgust or or ultimate judgment and being cast out. But as the recipient of that confession, sometimes we can go the other direction and try to make people feel good about their their current circumstance. Well, it's okay. You know, that that doesn't happen to you very often, or that's you're really overblowing it. That's not that big of a deal. And we can, in some sense, become a codependent for those sins. We can be that person that makes the confessor, that makes the one that's in the wrong, that makes the one who is in error feel like, you know what, maybe my sin's not that bad. That is not what this confession is for, just so you can feel better about yourself at the end or to have a group of people to help you feel better about yourself. Now, certainly they shouldn't hopefully make you feel worse and say, you know what, you thought this was bad, you're actually awful. You're actually even worse than you thought you were. But on both ends... We want to avoid both of those extremes, making people feel comfortable in their sin when they confess or making people um, feel like there is no hope or no restoration that is possible. Under the idea of confession being community building, confession also builds consensus. Um, Confession can break down that idea of the existence of super-Christians. And maybe you understand what I say when I'm saying that. The idea that there are people that could never do any wrong. They're the most joyful person you've ever met. They're the most prayed up person that's ever existed. They know more about the Bible than you could ever dream of, right? They are like the Awana super captain. They have all the Bible verses memorized. They know all the things you're supposed to know. They greet every visitor. They always share the gospel. They always pray for everybody. They always have a tract in their their pocket. Like There's no way they could ever do anything wrong. And if we perpetuate that idea, certainly we shouldn't make up things that are wrong with us. We shouldn't find sins to partake in just so that we have something to confess. But if we pretend like we have it all together and we don't confess our sins to one another, then it creates this unbalanced idea that there are some people that live up here for Christ while all I can do is live down here. And I'll never achieve what they've achieved. I'll never be as as righteous as they are. I'm never going to arrive in my Christian faith Because look at me, a sinner, and look at them, a perfect, holy person. 
When we confess our sins to one another, it builds a consensus in the fact that we are all screwed up. We are all humans. We all need God's mercy and His grace, and we can together, as a body of believers, recognize the harmful effects of sin, both in our own lives and in the lives of others. So confession is commanded. Confession is community building. But confession is also cleansing. Now, when you look at the verses immediately preceding verse 16 in chapter 5, we see this particular situation where there's this individual that is sick that needs to call the elders to them, and the elders are going to pray over them and anoint them with oil. And it says that through this, this prayer of faith, they will be healed. And certainly, um, there is an idea that when we have sin in our life, that can be directly connected to our own physical ailments. When we have sin in our life, it can cause sickness. It can cause pain. And some scholars would say that that's exactly what this verse is talking about, that we need to confess our sin to one another, that we may be healed in a physical sense. And while certainly that is true, that if we do not confess our sins and we harbor it, we may have sickness, we may have some physical ailment as a result, that's not the only reason we should confess our sins to one another. There's also the guilt of hidden sin. In Psalm 32, the psalmist said, when I refuse to confess, my bones wasted away. Even though we may not be able to point to a direct sickness as a result of our sin, we should understand that when we have sin that is unconfessed, when we have sin that is unrepentant, when we have sin that is stored up, it does still eat away at us. Our consciences, our minds, our stress levels can rise, our blood pressure can rise, we might not be able to sleep at night, it can change our, our eating habits, maybe we don't want to eat anything because we're depressed, or we want to eat our feelings away and we don't do anything but eat. Sin has physical consequences, whether we can attach it to an actual sickness or not. We have to understand that there is a guilt of hidden sin, and there really is a physical effect of hidden sin. I can think of one time when I was 16 years old, and uh, my dad had helped me buy a, a 2001 Chevy S10, and I did not want that truck. I wanted a cooler vehicle, but that's what I got, this little toy uh, truck you could ride around in. It had enough room for me and someone beside me. Later on, I found out that was plenty of room for seven people to ride around Jonesboro, Arkansas. No big deal. Um, but when I was 16, I worked at McDonald's, and this McDonald's had just opened up in the middle of town. And one thing that I didn't like about the truck, it only had an AM, FM radio. I mean, this, CDs existed. I just couldn't put them in. Cassette tapes, they, they existed too, but there was not a place to put it. You didn't want to put it in the vents or anything like that. And so I had to save up and grind my, my fingers with ketchup and pickles and those dehydrated onions for months and months and months. And finally, four months later, I had enough money to buy a CD player. And I was so excited. I went to my friend's house, and he helped me take my dash off, and we crimped all the wires, and we, we put the CD player in. Well, finally, his mom wanted to get back in the garage, so we were, it was late at night. I pulled out of the garage, I'm pulling out of the driveway, and this is my first time behind the wheel since I've put the CD player in. And so I'm not paying attention to anything but the CD player. So I back up, whip it around, want to park on the side. Well, I just keep going because, I mean, there's nothing to stop me going backward while I'm playing with my CD player, except a mailbox. And my, my first instinct upon hitting the mailbox was, let's put it in drive and get out of there as fast as I can. Not in the S10 you didn't. 
Because when you pulverize a brick mailbox in the S10, and that's what I did, you also get stuck on top of the brick mailbox, and my wheels were no longer touching the ground. And so I couldn't drive away. I couldn't get off. Thankfully, not really thankfully, but the owner of the home was having a Christmas party or a Christmas Eve party. It was somewhere near there. And they came out, and they had been partying for a while, so they were very happy. Um, And they helped me lift the truck off of the mailbox. Um, But I felt so bad, and obviously I was like, okay, well, there goes another four months of McDonald's money of trying to replace their mailbox. And so we exchanged information. They told me how much it would cost. I drove home dejected. But then when I finally made it home that night, the guilt that I had over bowling over their mailbox was completely gone and replaced with a new guilt and fear and terror of, what is my dad going to say to me when he sees this dent in the bumper the next morning? And I stayed up all night long, not able to sleep, not able to move, just filled with dread over what he was going to say. What was he going to do to me? Not just say to me. Was he going to punch me through the window? Was he going to take the truck away? I didn't know what was going to happen. And that was just a few hours of of, of guilt, just a few hours of trying to harbor that sin. Now, praise the Lord. My dad was gracious, and he looked at it, and he said, no, it's no big deal. I guess you just have to pay for it, and ultimately I did. Um, but sin has, ha- has a way of making us feel awful, of making us live an awful, miserable, depressed life. So confession, um, beyond being just community building, is cleansing. Confession is commanded. Confession, confession is community building, but confession is cleansing. There is a power in confession and in shared forgiveness and in restoration. See, the goal of confession is not just to tell someone so that someone else can hold my secrets, or not just to tell someone so that someone else will make me feel better about myself. What is the goal of confession? It says right here in the verse, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Now, ultimately, we confess all of our sin to God, We are not made more righteous by confessing to one another. We are not less righteous for not confessing to one another. Certainly, we want to be obedient to the Lord's commands, but our salvation has nothing to do with this, right? We are saved by grace through faith. Ultimately, it is an act of God in our life, and confessing our sin to one another does not change that. However, as we walk through this Christian life, we understand that we are going to trip, we are going to fall, we are going to make mistakes. And in those circumstances, in those instances, we have the opportunity to be free from that guilt, to be free from, um, from those instances, and to have restoration occur within the church. Certainly it could be physical, but we know that ultimately all sin and all guilt have a physical effect. Um, now we've talked about, up to this point, why it's good to confess. So we know that it's commanded, and if that doesn't get you, then there's some other reasons too, right? We ultimately should confess our sin to one one another because God commands it. Beyond that, there are some pros to confession, right? It builds unity. It builds community. It restores relationships. It cleanses that guilt from within us, especially when that guilt is between two parties, myself and someone else. But it still doesn't answer the question of, okay, well, how do I do it? Because if we're not doing it already— If you're not actively confessing your sin to one another already, then you need to know how that's going to happen. And so let's look at this last point, the criteria of confession. And we have to ask ourselves a few questions. First, what sins do I confess? Like, what should I bring to another person and confess, and and when should that occur? 
Well, if we just start with some of the sins that James mentions, uh, James mentions throughout the, the book of James, and we're not going to list all of them because he mentions quite a few. But we can summarize some of those sins like this. James points out the sins of pride in one's own ability or in one's own circumstances, the sin of preferential treatment, treating those that, that might be more beneficial to you better than those that aren't, treating those who have more money better than those that don't, treating those uh, who have a, a position of prominence better than those who might be in a poor position. He talks about sins of grumbling or arguing with one another or cursing at one another or just general sins um, that have to do with our mouth. He also talks about the sins of coveting and jealousy and having rivalries, really, between you and other people. And that one common thread between all of those sins that James mentions, they all affect the relationships between believers in the church, right? When we are boastful and prideful of our position, that affects our relationship with others in the church. When we prefer others, you know, one person over another, simply because they can help us get a little further in life, that creates tension and animosity in the church. Obviously, when we're arguing with one another, slandering one another, cursing at one another, that affects our relationships in the church. If we are jealous about what one person is able to accomplish and what one person is doing for the Lord or what the Lord is doing through them, and we're backbiting, we have things to say that's nasty about them behind their back, that affects the unity and the relationships within the church. Now, does that cover every single sin that's possibly out there? No. And that doesn't limit what we can confess to people, but let's start confessing what is keeping us from being unified as a church. Is there animosity between you and someone else, and you're the cause of it? Because you said something without thinking, because you did something without considering the consequences, go and confess that sin to another person, even if they don't reciprocate, though they're supposed to, even if they don't receive it in a gracious way. We can be obedient to this command to confess our sins. We also need to confess sins that require accountability. Are there sins that you're stuck in? repetitive sins, sins that you regularly struggle with, sins that if you didn't confess it to anyone else, no one would ever know it's happening. There are so many sins that you can commit from the comfort of your own home that no one would ever know unless you told them. Now, what this doesn't mean is that you need to come up here and announce necessarily and broadcast every awful thing you've ever done to every single person that will want to hear it or not want to hear it, right? But these are some of the things we need to confess. So let's talk about, well, who do we do that with? This is what I need to confess. Maybe you've thought of sins in your own life that you need to confess. Where do I take that? We want to confess to faithful Christians who will pray for our restoration, and faithful Christians that we can trust. Going back to verse 16 again. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Ultimately, we're not confessing into the void. We're confessing to another believer, a righteous person who has been made righteous and declared righteous by God through the blood of Christ. And they are supposed to, in turn, pray for us as we pray for them, maybe when they are confessing, so that healing can occur. Because it says the prayer not of any person, 
Not of just the next stranger you meet, but the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And ultimately, on the flip side of that, we can ask ourselves, what do I do if someone confesses sins to me? What if I'm on the other end and someone comes up to me and confides in me the sins that they are struggling with or the sins that are separating us, the sins that are causing division and disunity? Well, then we have to take up the other end of that command to pray for them that they might be healed. So as we reach sort of the the end of this verse and the end of this idea, why should we consider confessing our sins to one another and praying for one another? Ultimately, because we're commanded to. You know, if we go through and we consider our relationship with Christ, that He has brought us from death to life through the life and work and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, We should want to, as a result of the change in our life, do everything that we possibly can to show him our gratitude and our love. And we do that through obeying his commandments. And if we're commanded to confess sin to one another, then let's confess sin to one another. But beyond that, we also see that it works. When we look at the end of of verse 16, uh, to read it again, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Or, or another way that you could translate that or think of it is, you know, the prayer of a righteous person is able to accomplish much. It really accomplishes something. It doesn't just make you feel better. James even gives an actual example of what it can accomplish. Joshua read this earlier with the, the example of Elijah. Uh, it says Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. So Elijah wasn't some super Christian or super apostle or super prophet. It says he was a man just like you and me. He was born from a woman. He was raised by parents. He obviously did things that we're not able to do. I've never called fire down from heaven. I've never ran faster than a chariot. But James says he has a nature just like us. And he prayed that no rain would come to Israel for three and a half years. And guess what? It didn't. And then he prayed again that it would, and guess what? It did. Prayer has an actual effect, an actual consequence. And when we confess our sins to one another so that we know what to pray for, and we actually pray for one another, there is a tangible effect that we can see and feel and measure and observe in our own lives. But that's only possible if we put it out there. That's only possible if we are obedient to his commands. And so as we end here and our musicians come forward, I just want us to consider a few things in our own personal life. Number one, is there sin in your life that's creating division between you and and others in the church or between you and others in your family? Maybe you don't really want to admit that you're the one at fault, but you, you know you are. And maybe they even know you are. Is there sin that you struggle with regularly? Maybe it's hidden sin that no one knows about. Maybe it's a sin that everyone knows about. They're just too scared to bring it up in front of you. If you've been redeemed by the blood of Christ, you have access to the throne of God. Certainly you can and you should confess your sins to him because every sin ultimately is a sin against God. 
We start there. We bring our faults, we bring our shortcomings, we bring our failures to the feet of Jesus. And we know, just as the Bible says, he is going to forgive us, right? He is just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. But we're also commanded to make a confession, a regular practice to one another, so that we can intercede for one another that leads to healing and restoration. But understand that we only have this this relationship amongst brothers and sisters in Christ. Number one, if you're not a Christian, if you've never been brought from death to life, you don't have access to the throne of God like I do, like other Christians do. Not through anything that I've done or they've done, but through the, the work that Jesus did at the cross. I can go and confess my sins to God, and I have an advocate in Jesus Christ who defends me, who declares me righteous. If you do not have that relationship with Jesus, you don't have a righteousness. You don't have his righteousness. You have no standing before God. And confessing your sins to other people, whether that be in person or on the phone or anywhere else, that's not going to bring you any sort of healing. Sure, it might, it might give you a temporary relief that, okay, I'm not the only one that knows I'm sinning. Maybe it gives you a, a temporary community and consensus. As, oh, okay, I'm not alone anymore. But ultimately, if you don't have forgiveness from God through Jesus Christ, confessing your sin to one another means nothing. And so there are a lot of things you can consider today. If you're a Christian, how can you confess to one another? How can you be faithful to pray for one another? And if you're not, you, how, is the Spirit drawing you to lay your sins at Jesus' feet because you can receive forgiveness no other way. Let me pray, and then we'll uh, be led by Pastor Brandon in a, in a song. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity uh, that you've given us to gather together. Thank you for your word, God. And, and Lord, while confessing our sins to one another seems awkward, um, maybe it even seems outdated to us, Lord. We know that it's something you've commanded of us something that you require of us, Um, not because it's going to make us uncomfortable, though it might, but ultimately for our own good. Lord, I pray that even if that medicine tastes bad in our mouths right now and in our ears, that you would help us to um, have the courage to confess our sins to one another, that you would create an opportunity for us to do so. Lord, that you would help us to find um, faithful and righteous brothers and sisters in Christ that will not look down upon us or try to just bring us comfort in those situations, but that will pray for us, intercede for us, bring our sins before your throne so that we may be healed, God. Lord, I pray that you would help us not to think of of prayer as some ambiguous thing that, that doesn't really mean anything to anyone. Lord, help us to see that prayer really is effective. Prayer really does change our circumstances. And help us, God, as we confess, as we pray, as we are healed, to celebrate the unity that you will create and that will be evident and seen in the world around us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.